All right, welcome to episode 61 of the Bobbycast with Nicole Gallion, who, by the way, this is what I was going to tell you before I walked on. Everybody says super nice things about you. And in this town, that's not, that doesn't happen with everybody. It's such a, like, everybody's like, I have an opinion on that person. Everybody says super nice things about you. You can't get any dirt. We don't search for dirt, but we're like, hey, Mike, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Like, everybody we talked to was like, oh, you will love her. Oh, I love that. First person universally that we've ever had that someone said you'll, everybody said you love. No pressure. No pressure at all. Okay. Um, you know who was up here and was fantastic is Natalie Hemby. Oh, yeah. And she loves you. I love her. And if anybody, if Natalie loves somebody, we just think it's pretty cool. Well, so, she'll let you know if she doesn't. Yeah, she'll let you know real quick, too. So, let's yeah. see. I want to tell you how, because... I want to run through your resume real quick, and then we'll come back to it, because I like people to know who we're talking to at first. So, just some songs that Nicole has has written here. Oh, she actually wrote this jingle for our show. This is a really amazing tune you can hear. Um, no, like, for example, Automatic. By the way, you know who I was with today? That's with uh, Frank Liddell. Awesome. We were sitting at a table for like three hours. Um, I'm assuming he produced. He did. This, yeah. He did. Because um, he produces, you know, Miranda stuff. We sat for about three hours at a table today and talked about the future of the business and, and oh, wow. at a at a seminar. Oh, it was brutal. And I like Frank. And we were both like, I'm over it. <laughs> but yeah, Frank produced that. Uh, let's see. We were us. Keith Miranda. You pumped your fist on that one. I want. We're gonna come back to that one. Things like, and I have a whole opinion, and, and we can get to this, and I'll rant a bit, but Love Triangle from Ray Lynn. And then a lot of other stuff, but I want to tell you how I was introduced to you, because I am the biggest Walker Hayes fan, uh, and like that's my friend, too, and I took him on tour. We just finished our last show together. We did January through May, and he opened for my stand-up comedy tour and, I, and months ago. I mean, before he even had a deal, I was just like, dude, this stuff is next level. Like, when just Volume 1 came out, I was playing it on the radio, and I was like, I love it. Love every bit of it. Mm -hmm. This Halloween song, and you sing it, and you wrote it with them. Yeah. And I remember hearing this song, and it was just before I played it, I remember hearing it and kind of listening to the message, and it was, you know, Halloween ended, and all the things I pretended to be. It was like, you met somebody, and you don't have to dress up and be this character anymore. You can just be yourself. And I was like... I don't know where this came from, but this is like next level stuff. And not only did you write it with them, you sang it with them. So I'm going to play it, and then we're going to talk to you. I'm done with my whole spiel up front. Halloween ended. Look at that. You can sing, too. Look at all these talents. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. I love this song. Man, I love this song. Halloween ended. To all the people I pretended. I don't know why I'm like this, but oh, that's, a, that's a jam. Like, he's I'll, so good. He's he so, so good. good. He's so good. Like, and when he finally, I've saved tweets from like a year ago, and I'm like, everybody's gonna be sorry they didn't sign Walker Hayes because he's that good. Yeah. And I've even written with him, and he is a different level. He's a, he's so wordy, but like in a, this amazingly like precise way. Mm-hmm. So enough, enough, enough of no, me rambling. He's on. He's a genius. We'll come back to that. Okay, we'll come back. So. About you. So where did you grow up and how did you get here? I grew up in Kansas. What part? The middle. I grew up in a little farm town of like 2,000 people. Where was town then? If where, you had to go to town. Wichita. Okay. So. Well, I guess if we went to town, we went to a, another smallish town called Hutchinson. I know Hutchinson. Well. Yeah. So um, that's where we would go to the Target or the Applebee's for a, or for a date or something like that. Um but that was probably like 30 miles away. So how long ago did you move to Nashville? I moved here in 2002, right when I graduated from high school. So this is my 15-year Nashville-versary. Um, I came here and went to Belmont. At that time, I had never sung. I grew up, you know, I had, I actually got into the business backwards because I came here wanting to be a manager. Really? I had never written a song. I had never sung in front of anybody when I moved here. I, you know, I was like the anti-girl moving to Nashville who had grown up singing at every county fair, wanting to be in the music business. You know, I just wanted to be on the business side. What made you want to be a manager? Like, growing up in a small town in Kansas, I wouldn't, again, if I'm a tiny town in Arkansas, I never even knew managers were a thing. Well, I was just obsessed with the music. I was just obsessed with country music. And so for me, I was like, 
I was raised real blue collar, like my dad and his brothers all pour concrete. That's still what they do. And so for me, it was like, I was very business minded. And how can I, how can I work and be in the music business? I never had that. I mean, I grew up playing classical piano, hardcore, like one competitions. It was like my thing, but what, I ne- what does that mean? Hardcore. So did you start training at a young age? Like you yeah, like three. And then I was like playing these like symphony orchestra things when I was really? in like high school, I was very disciplined, but like. I never saw a way for that to connect with my passion, which was country music. I mean, my mom and I went to every concert. We were like, you know, we were those fans, We, you know. But playing classical piano and loving the Dixie Chicks, how do you, where's the middle ground between those two? And so for me, I was, I'm actually, I actually thought that I was a manager because of the way that I'm made. I'm not made like a creative, like most of the people who write songs. I'm type A. I'm very like... Like, I could be really happy in a suit and tie job. Like, I thought that. And that's actually the way that I operate and process and wire and I'm wired and stuff. So I was like, well, that makes sense. Your passion is country music and you're type A and you're wired like this. You must be something behind the scenes. So that's what got me here. Was so you moved here thinking you are going to manage artists. I moved here, went to Belmont, thinking that I was going to get this degree and manage artists and got here and just started meeting songwriters and... Literally the first time I sat in someone's living room and saw a guitar pull, I thought, I can do that. And it wasn't like, it wasn't pride. And it wasn't, I, I didn't, I'd never written a song, but I just knew myself and knew that I could do that. And so I was like a closeted songwriter for many years. Even as you're playing piano all those years, you never wrote a song? No. So what did you do? Play, I just chopped played- off to be- Yes, I played Beethoven. I played like yeah. study because that's what was available in the country was like choral music. Like if I sang, I sang in a choir, choral music, because that's what you do in a small town. There was no band. There was no one learning guitar. No one. It was, you know, it wasn't until I got here that I figured out that I could put all that stuff together. Did you sing solos in your choir? <sighs> If you have to think about it, there there are no distinct memories of you just rocking on a solo, huh? I think they made me, my choir director made me do one, like my senior year, and it was kind of a joke, and it wasn't, I mean, I don't have like a great choral voice. I don't think of myself as a singer still, um, so I definitely didn't think of myself as a singer when I was 17. Okay, so. Because I thought a singer was Martina McBride. That was the only way you could sing and be a good singer. And then I got here and met songwriters, and I'm like, oh, you're all artists in your own way, and you don't sound like Martina McBride or Faith Hill. You know, the people that have these huge voices, and I don't have that voice, so I never considered myself a singer. At what point did it turn for you, and you go, okay, maybe I don't want to manage, I want to be someone who creates? Um, well, probably, you kind of have to know kind of what was going on on the side, too. I worked for a booking agent at William Morris all through college. as I was like his assistant. For four years, and part of my job was helping him throw parties. So we would throw these parties at his house with all these people in the music business, and then everyone would be drunk. And at the end of the party, he knew I was writing songs because he was kind of he kind of became family to me. And he'd be like, "Nick, get up there and play a song." And I he would always put me on the spot, and I would always be so scared. But something in me just loved songwriting enough that I was like. If you can't do this, you're never going to be a songwriter. So, Did you start playing guitar when you moved here? Mm-hmm. I just write on piano. So you don't play guitar now? I, don't, I still don't play guitar. Wow. Yeah. So you write on piano. Yeah. Oh, so Walker, just back to Walker, Walker writes and plays piano. So when you two, mm-hmm. it's like the dueling, it's like Billy Joel and uh, Elton John. I went to that concert. It's like dueling pianos. He Well, I don't, I don't, I rarely play in the room anymore. And that's the weird thing. Like the first, I got a publishing deal in 2007 and I pretty much wrote at the piano. I was the girl, I was like the country Sarah Bareilles, I guess, for lack of a better description. When I first had a publishing deal and, um, and I, it was just given that when you write with Nicole, she writes on the piano. And then this whole track guy revolution happened with songwriting where all these guys were incredible you know, they had these incredible tracks. So then I started walking in and I became more of a top liner. What's a top liner? Um, basically, top line. the top line is pretty much anything you would sing in karaoke. So lyric, melody, whatever the singer does in karaoke is what top lining is. And that's more of like an L.A. pop way of talking about writing. We don't say that as much here in Nashville because everyone just kind of is chameleon and everyone does everything in the room. But when I got rid of my piano which is ultimately what got me into writing in the first place 
that's when I really started to blossom. That sounds so dumb. Blossom. Who says that? But do you write with piano now? Maybe like a handful of times a year. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Do you play it for fun still? A little bit, yeah. Or, I mean, are you burnt at all from it? I'm like, I got to the point on a writing front where I was um, uninspired by everything I was playing because I was just playing everything. And and writing for the country market, there's a lot of kinds of songs that I wanted to write that just don't pay off in the room on piano. Like I can't write a song to pitch to Luke Bryan most of the time writing on piano. You can't write a lot of the same feels. It would just sound like bad Billy Joel. You know, it would just sound like terrible Elton John. You know, it just didn't sound like anything anyone would ever cut and it wasn't inspiring. So I just kind of gave that up. So you got your first publishing deal, which means they start paying you to write songs. Yeah. So what was your first bit of success? Meaning who was the first one to ever put a song on hold and go, Ooh, Um, even if you didn't get it, where you kind of got a little bit excited. I don't remember a, the uh, like a substantial hold, but I remember. Um, are you familiar with Josh Kelly? I am. Charles. Charles's Kelly's. brother, not country, but kind of Americana acoustic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yes. And at the time, all I knew of him was that he had been a pop artist and was coming to Nashville and um, was making a country record. And he, I wrote a song with him that was going to be his first single. And it was going to be my first time to hear something that I had written on the radio. And the last minute they changed their mind and went with another song. And it kind of struggled. And then I think they kind of like used all their bullets per se on that song. And then when, then they put ours out and it just like died at 50, which is such a rite of passage for every songwriter. You, you all dream of getting, you know, your first single. Because in your mind you think if I get a single, I get a hit. Well, those are two very different things. So you get the single and then it fails. And then you go, okay, now my new goal is to have a hit. So you get a song with Josh Kelly. Yes. No real success, but it is at least a song. You probably heard it on the radio a couple times. That's got to be cool, right? Yeah, that was cool. Okay, so then what was your first song where you finally got to actually be, okay, this thing has a shot? Was We Were Us. Wow, that that's a, that was a monster. Like, that was your first real one, and it was, it was. that big. I had a song on, um, the song that always feels like my career kind of, like, happened after this. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you can talk. I keep was, it low so we can talk over was it. Was this song that Lady Annabellum cut of mine called It Ain't Pretty? Oh, I have that one right here. Here. So you, so you thought this one? In my cell phone. Yeah. It ain't pretty. It ain't pretty when a heart breaks. So this was a cut before we were us? This was a cut before we were us. This was um, a song that... It's funny because, like, my publisher always says, you know, songs have different purposes, Nicole. And we, as writers, all we think is songs need to be hits or else we're not going to have a job. But this song had a different purpose, which was to just make other people aware of me as a writer. And a lot of people wrote with me because they were like, who wrote that? I wrote this with Eric Pasley. Oh, one, of my, one of my best friends in the whole world. Who everyone knew Eric. But then they were like, this is a female song. Who's the missing, who's the new variable in this song? And so that. That's that's how Shane McAnally became aware of me was he heard me play this at a Lady Annabellum event and was like, You don't know me, but I can't believe that song and so now we're like great friends. So So this was the first cut you ever got? I don't know if it wasn't the first cut, but it it was like the first legit cut. Yeah. What record was that on? Golden. So I just caught a cat. So people hear this and start to go, hey, listen to the record, love that song, who wrote it? And that's how they start to track down like the new new sound songwriters? At, I mean, I guess in, at least within our writing community. It was, oh, it's so funny because it's like getting a cut like that is like when one artist validates you and says your song is worthy of my project so many other artists feel more confident in cutting your songs. And I think, and I, you know, I just did an event with Lady a couple of weeks ago and I played that song and I was like, no one ever heard this song, but this song actually changed everything for me um, because it made other artists go, oh, well, what else are you writing? And, you know, you have to see the, the long game when you do what we do. You can't get, can't put, put all your eggs in any song's basket. You know, it just has to be like, well, 
if that was what that song's purpose was, then I have peace with that, and I'll write another one. I always wonder, because I have a lot of songwriter friends, and they, you write a song, and it takes forever for, really to, for it to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. So when you write the song, you don't go, well, we'll see that one next week or in a month. You kind of just write a bunch of songs mm-hmm. and then just let them go about their day. You can almost forget about them, yeah. and you just keep writing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually after time, somebody will come back and go, oh, remember that song you wrote three months ago? Yep. This one's kind of been played. Is that somewhat right? Yeah, I mean, I think about it. My husband is used to be a farmer. He's a writer too. But I always use like the farming metaphor of like every day we just plant seeds. And like then you look back and you like have this whole field of songs. And some of them grow and some of them don't. And, you know, some of them you really have to like work hard for. And other, you know, they just kind of do their own thing. They have this. They have a whole life of their own, beyond what happens in the room, and that's like the most intriguing part of the business to me is like how certain songs go all the way around the world to get cut. You know, it's really humbling, honestly, because you go, I could have never orchestrated that. I could have never been smart enough or made that happen on a business front. That just happened on its own. That's really cool to watch. Talk about Wag Walker for just a second. I love my dog. My dog is in the room right now as we do the Bobby cast. What up, buddy? So for me, I love Wagwalker. I just started using Wagwalker about three weeks ago. For me, my dog is part of my family. My dog's my best friend. My dog's 14 years old. And so Wagwalker is awesome. I think you should trust Wag. I, I trust Wag. If you listen to me at all, you know that I love my dog like more than anything. Here's how it works. The booking options cover everything you need, like ASAP on demand. They can get a walker there in less than an hour, or you can schedule for later. WAG automatically pairs you with the best walker nearest to you to your schedule. They send you a detailed profile of your walker, including video and ratings. You can experience every step of your dog's walk. Text message when the dog walk starts. Live GPS of your dog's walk. Notification when your dog uses the bathroom. I'm not done talking about this yet, Mike. Mike's giving me a time. This, I'm telling you, this WAG walker is is awesome. It's a private dog walking service. They don't walk your dog with other people's dogs. It's the service are insured, bonded. Your dog and your home are covered. Uh, Wag is a must-have for every dog owner. Give Wag a try. Download Wag on iTunes or Google Play, or search for Wag Walking. Sign up today. Get your first walk for free. No promo code needed. So uh, download Wag and sign up today. Again, download Wag. Search for Wag Walking. I know it went over time, but it's really great. Okay, so how about this? Let's talk about We Were Us. This was a monster. I mean, when I think of songs in the past five years, I mean, this is one of the bigger ones. So, was it written as a duet? It was. There was another artist that we... um, had, I don't know, I never feel right saying who it is. Everybody always says, you don't have to, but everybody always says, don't feel like you have to. Uh, there was another artist that, there was just like a rumor that they were looking for a feature. It was a female artist and looking for a feature, and it was, to be quite honest, not as massive, like, not as, you know, at the time, that artist didn't have, you know, hadn't had a song on the radio in years. Not a feature. What? What do you mean, not a feature? So Keith had the song already, and they wanted to... No, it was written as a female song to feature a guy. Okay, got it. And then um, one of the one of my co- I wrote this song with Jimmy Robbins and John Knight, and one of my co-writers, Jimmy Robbins, his he was actually published by Keith. So Keith was getting to hear what he was writing before anything know, we any, pitched, before anyone else ever heard right. it. So he heard it, and then it never really actually made it to that other artist. So Keith was like, "I'll take it." It's Actually, mine. that's not true. He said, oh my God, I have to have that song. In the meantime, we had already sent it off to the other artist camp, and they came back and were freaking out, like, oh my gosh, we have to have this song. And we're like, I'm so sorry, you can't now, because Keith wants it. And that's always like a really, that's what you dream of those situations as a writer, but it, you know, it, it kind of stunk. You know? Did you have to have the conversation? Did you know the other artist well enough? or did I did eventually. Like, I don't think I was... All of us were connected to this to this girl, and we all love her and adore her. Um, but how could we tell Keith no? It was his... He had technically owned the song. And are you kidding me? Like, and Keith, it was Keith Urban, Urban? Are you right. freaking kidding me? Why so, would we ever tell him no, ever? 
Keith wants the song, gets the song, and then how does Miranda get on it? I don't remember. I feel like there for a minute there were other possible like, and he might remember. I mean, he would obviously remember this better than I would because, and I'm even hesitant to say because all the, the information we get as songwriters is so third, fourth, fifth hand that who even knows? I mean, but I know there were other names that were thrown out in the process that we were told. Now whether they were like ever legit in the running, I don't know. But I actually, um, I actually remember writing the day that we wrote Automatic with Miranda, she was like, I sang the vocal on that song. What's going on with that song? And I was like, I don't know. I, you know, we don't know anything. We're just, was writers. that the first time you heard that she had sang the vocal on it? Was she told you that? Um, I think she, I knew that she had done the vocal, but it had been a minute. And in my mind, I'm like, like no news is not always good news. Right. You know, you want momentum, you want excitement, you want feedback. And I hadn't heard anything. And so I was like, well, maybe it didn't work. I don't know. So even Miranda didn't know, it sounds like. Like, I sang the vocal. What's happening with that? So she didn't even know at that point. No. She Be- didn't because, know. And I can tell you, like, I'm, I'm pretty close to Keith. And, like, I know things he's cut right now with the other artists. And, and I know the other artists. I'm like, you know what? I don't know where. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same weird thing. You would think everybody would be in on it. But it's really, everybody's really not. Well, I think it's I think it's cool because they are like your. I mean, I would think I'm not an artist per se, but I would think that you would want to be precious because information is. I, I would say, like as songwriters, like information is currency. You know, like knowing if all the songs that everyone's cut for their project that you know that or who's looking for what. Or I mean, you'd be surprised just being close in proximity to an artist. What a heads up, or you know, what a cut in line. I would say that is in getting cuts because you just take for granted that knowing the other things that are involved in the project really helps you. And so I think artists are, they're smart and that they're protective of the information that surrounds their project so that they can keep them precious. So tell me then you hear the song, it's Keith, it's Miranda, you know, now it's Miranda and Carrie and then everybody else. So you get the biggest, I mean, you had Keith Urban and then basically the biggest female country artist on the same song that you wrote I mean, are you like, okay, this is it? Like, Yeah. That, in my mind, I... Like, I how actually, could it not be, right? No, I did. And I, and I, I would think that just by who was singing it, but then when I heard it, I was so blown away by the production on it, and they both sang their butts off. I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. I still, when it comes on, I still am like, my God, that sounds so good. When do you get to hear it for the first time? After it's all the way sometimes, done and mastered? Sometimes, like, when it gets released to iTunes. I, I mean... Wow, that to me... Certain artists will have, like, a listening party or, like, um, hey, come out to my house and or come to come by the studio and we'll listen to the record. All the writers get to come, but, you know, or if you're friends with the artist, they'll play something for you, but a lot of times it's not until it comes out on iTunes. That's, that's crazy to me. We don't find out a lot of times if our song even made the record until the track listing goes up on iTunes, you know, we're just sitting there going, well, I got three cuts, but I have, they recorded three of my songs, but I don't even know if I should tell my mom. Cause she'll start asking me about it every day. And I don't want to let her down if they don't make it or I don't want, you know, I don't know. So, so when, what single was this off that record? It was second, I think. Did you know it wasn't going to be the first single because it was a duet? Maybe it's it's kind of weird to release a duet as the first single. Um, well, we I feel like you're always told you have the first single. <laughs> it always feels like when people get excited about a song, of course, A and R or or you know artists. I feel like someone along and maybe it was just a co-writer wishfully thinking was like, I think this could be the first single. But I know those words are said and thrown around. I don't remember. That was like two babies ago. <laughs> Literally. 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 <laughs> yeah. So We Were Us hits, it's a smash, and that changed the whole game for you, right? It did. It like really even did. lifestyle, like you can like buy more food now. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm married to another songwriter who has much more success than I've ever dreamed about having. Well, I dream about having it now, but I... You can say, I know who it is. Well, I'm you- married to Rodney Clausen, um, and so technically I'm Nicole Clausen. But I'm Nicole Gallion by day. And um, and so my motivation for, you know, I'm not te- technically the breadwinner in the house as a writer, which is honestly such a gift as a creative because I feel like, like not, I don't have to, I can create out of a more pure place. I can write what I love. I can write what I would want to hear. 
And I'm, I can actually strike out more times and swing for the fences because I'm not trying. It, it's not a utility bill to me. It's a passion, and I want to tell stories, and I want to make sure that the art is right and that the artist gets to say what they want to say. And it's so freeing to get. I'm very, very blessed and lucky to be in that position. So no, for me, it wasn't ever about the money. What's the I dynamic? I don't think that. Do you? What's the dynamic with you and your husband when you write? Do you ever write together? So this year we've been married 10 years. Wow. Um, we When we got engaged, we made a very, very deliberate decision to not write together. Um, we had written, we tried to write a couple times, um, and it just, it wasn't, like, we don't fight. But when we wrote, it was like the most tense that we ever were with each other, and the things that we wrote were not special. So we were like, eh, we don't need to do that. And, on, and also... He was very sweet in saying, I don't want anybody to think that you need me because I know you don't. I, I know that you're an awesome writer. And I had just signed a publishing deal not too long before that. So he's like, I just want to give you the gift of your own lane. And I wanted, I'm very independent. And I was like, I want my own lane. And so we didn't write for nine and a half years. And we just started writing about six months ago. Really? And we wrote two songs. Are you nervous the first time you go on to write together? I was nervous. Um, I had felt it like a stirring for about a year. Like, I think we're going to do something together. And I don't, and we, I was actually booked to write with, um, with Ross Copperman and our, whoever the third person was like, had just like bailed on us. And Ross had been saying for a year, I want to be the first one to write with you and Rodney. And I think he, I think that's a literal impression of Ross, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be the first one. Oh my gosh. And so I was like, he was like Rodney. And I was like, well, I'll see. And like, and he showed up, and the song actually got cut. Really? Yeah, by a big artist. Like, I'm freaking out about it. Okay, so it's still not out yet. It's not out. Um, but it's it's like an artist that I could have never dreamed to have. Eric Church. No, no. Blake. No. no. Hmm. Prince. No. No. Okay. It's in our market. I give up then. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so we're um we're we're starting to join forces a little bit now. So let's talk about this one here, and you can tell me if this urban legend is true or not. So you wrote automatic here. Hey, whatever happened to Even bigger. Even bigger than, than we were us. So you wrote this with Natalie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Natalie Hemby. Anybody? And Miranda. And, Miranda. and did you and Natalie meet on an airplane? So the story is that who is were you scared to fly or was she scared Natalie's to fly? Natalie's scared to fly. Natalie's scared to fly, and yeah. and so you sat beside her and comforted her. Well, I had just met her. I was just meeting her basically for the first time. I didn't even know. I'd never heard her sing. Had never heard a song she had written when we met. So I was, she was just a girl on a plane to me. And, and did so, you know she was a songwriter though? Yeah, actually, Rodney had told me. She's she used to like be in town and then she went to LA and now she's back. She's an incredible writer and I was like, oh cool, you know, or really cool. I don't know what she's doing now, but so we just started talking and we just became fast friends. But we didn't. We were friends first, um, and you know, and she had success like shortly thereafter. She had some Miranda songs and and I didn't and and we just kind of didn't write for a really really long time, and then. Um, just a few years, I guess it was probably like four years ago. We were, we, um, I had met Ray Lynn and said, I have this girl that I think that you would really appreciate. And so we wrote, I was like, will you write with her? And, I, and so the three, me and Natalie wrote a song called Golden Girls with Ray Lynn. And we came out of that right. And Natalie and I were like, oh my God, we have to write more. Like there's something that's happening Obviously, Raylan and I have our thing, but like me and Natalie were like, oh my God, we have to write more. We went on to write five songs that year total together, and all five of them were on Miranda's record. Really? Yeah. So there was like this little magic, this lightning in a bottle moment for us as friends and co writers that year. But even since then, I mean, that's just somebody that like will be, will be there when the other one dies, you know? So She's tell amazing. me about this song, Automatic. Like, where were you? Well, I. Um, I think I, I where were we when we wrote it? Yeah, like, okay. like we just were. Just kind of set the scene for me. So, um, we wrote this song in 
Miranda's, at the time, Miranda and Blake's condo in Nashville. Um, I had never written with Miranda before. The only way that she knew of me was because um, of songs that I was writing with Ray. And Ray Lynn was playing them for Miranda. And Miranda's like, well, I know that you're kind of a new songwriter. Who are you writing these with? And so that's how she became kind of privy to what I was doing. And then Natalie and I had our, our thing kind of going already. So I got pulled in to write literally like a month after I just had a baby. And it, I wasn't writing. Like I swore I was going to take all this time off. And We Were Us hadn't come out on the radio yet. So I hadn't had a hit. And I was getting the opportunity to write with Miranda Lambert, which is any songwriter's like a list of, of co-writes, but especially for a female writer because there, there's just things that you can say with Miranda that you – for a Miranda project that you could say nowhere else in town, especially at the time, you know, now we have other females that have really like gone there in their own way. But at the time she was just, she was like the dream co-write. So I was obviously nervous and tired and had a newborn baby. And we walked in and we started talking about girls moving to Nashville, wanting to get record deals. They live here for six minutes and they're like, well, I don't have a record deal yet. Well, I don't have a record deal yet. And and, you know, Miranda was kind of pouring her heart out, like, don't they understand? Like, I played 150 shows in the back of a van with a bunch of smelly guys for this many years before anything ever happened for me. And then we kind of started sharing our stories. And that's kind of where the the song started to get written. But the night before, Natalie and I, see, like, for a write like that, Natalie and I would, like, that's, like, a really big day. And Miranda's time is so precious. Like, we would have normally sat down and started three or four choruses or just something to just to come in really prepared because these artists don't have very much time you know they have like a couple hours and you got to just like make the most of it and be ready but her I had just had a newborn baby and she her daughter got sick or something and so we were like on the phone at midnight the night before just like throwing out titles and concepts and um, we had the title automatic but it was going to be a love song like nothing about us and our love like came automatic like, we've had to work for whatever it is that, that we, this love that we have. And when that conversation started happening, the whole thing shifted to then a story that Miranda told about Patty Loveless telling her about all these artists in the 90s taking, like, quarters in a bag when they were on their tour bus, when they were on tour, because they would pull the tour bus over and have to do all their radio phoners from payphones. And they always had all these quarters with them which is something I would never even think happened, but of course it had to happen that way. And so that's where Quarter and Payphone came from, which is the first line of the song, and then it just kind of wrote itself from there. Wow. The night before you write with Miranda, Let's aside from you talking to Natalie, even the week before, is it like... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous about this. It's well, crazy. Yeah. It's freaking Randall Lambert. Like, you don't, you don't want to go on and look like a chomp. Yeah. Like, is there that added pressure? Oh, for sure. I mean... I would feel nervous going to write with Miranda tomorrow. I would feel pressure tomorrow. And this is like four or five years after that, where now I've had, I get to write with all the artists that I could ever dream of now, you know? But at that time, that I that was like a once in a lifetime for me. I'm like, this is like, we either get a good song or she's never writing with me again. That's what I think. Now, I'm not saying she's like that, but that's what how I take it. I got to like deliver something. And so this song, Cleaned Up, this is, this is the biggest song, right? Yeah, that's my, for me, that's... This that's is like one of the biggest songs. songs. Again, you have two anthems here. Then oddly, once they both have Miranda in them. Yeah. <laughs> is this still fun to hear? Like, is it cool to hear? Like, yeah. still, it, like it still makes you feel something and it's not numb because you've heard no. it so many times? No, I am... A lot of songwriters are really jaded, and a lot of them, like, they can never, they get caught up in the, what's the next thing I'm going to do all the time, and they can't even enjoy where they are. Like, I'm actually one of the most nostalgic people that I know, and I, like, it's fun, not, it's, and I don't think it's, like, a coincidence that both of those songs are looking back songs, because that's, like, my heart, and anytime something awesome, like, when I hear that, I'm 17, and I'm like, oh my god. Like, a girl in my hometown is listening to this song right now in Kansas. Like, that's how I process it. I mean, I I don't know. I still feel like I'm 17. Don't know how I got here. That's how, that's my perspective. It doesn't matter how old I get or how many opportunities I get. I'm just like, how did this happen to me? 
you know. And I'm not like the biggest songwriter in town by any stretch of the imagination, but I just can't. I'm always in awe every time it comes on. So I want to play this one here. God made uh, oh, I played this one. Where's Raylan Love Triangle? I've, and I've said this on the air. I felt like this song got jawed. I felt like this song got... And if it had been a dude singing it, it's a number one song. Like, really. If there had been a, if this had been a dude singing this song, it's a number one That's song. It's funny. I've never even thought about it as a... I've never considered that as a guy. Like, that that would even be an option. Two things. One, it's, it's tougher for women right now. Mm-hmm. Because... Labels stopped building the farm system, first of all. When it was all dudes all the time, they stopped even cultivating from the bottom of building females to even get to radio. Mm-hmm. So radio's kind of waiting on the minor leagues to give us these artists. But record labels just stopped making females a priority. So here mm-hmm. we are again, and radio's struggling to find these females to put on. And... It's harder and harder to find them, and ballads are hard because everybody's so ADD, and if something's slow on the radio, like even research goes, if something's slow, boom, they change it because it's like, uh, again, it's a female, and it's a ballady song. Mm-hmm. If it had been a male, it, it would have been, been a hit Wow! because right. it's such a good song. Thank you. And that's not even a, a dig at Ray Lynn. It's the opposite. Ray Lynn can sing her brains out, yeah. and she sings it wonderfully, mm-hmm. and I just felt like it was such a good song, and I, and I saw a couple weeks ago whenever – it they they stopped promoting. I was like, yeah. oh, that sucks because mm-hmm. any other scenario, you give it to a dude, and that's probably man. I didn't, I've never even thought. I, I guess I've just been so wrapped up in that as her. That's her story that I never thought of it as a song that, from even a pitching standpoint, of who could sing it and and what would it be if someone else did it. And to me, it wasn't even a pitching thing. It was just that's so good. I think that people and I again, I'm on the radio, but I'm still so anti the establishment of radio. That I think you have a lot of program directors that are like, well, it's slow and it's female. It's yeah. got two strikes against it already. So yeah. as soon as there's a bump, we're going to go ahead and pull out of it. What's so crazy, though, is like those are the songs that when they do get through, they are song of the year. They're the songs that our industry puts on a pedestal in such a high way. So it's it's like you got to swing for the fences occasionally. I'm not Like not every day am I going to be willing to write I'm not going to write a hundred songs a year about divorce and ballads for girls, you know, but when the song presents itself, you owe it to the idea and you owe it to the artist and the, to, to make it the best that it can be, even if it doesn't make sense for, even if radio doesn't understand. Well, I just want to say, I love the song. I always love the song. I loved it from the first time I heard it. I was like, holy cow, that song like speaks to people, you know, and I think a lot of people understand it and. I just felt crappy for it whenever they quit on it. And it too. wasn't even their fault for quitting on it because it was people wouldn't, they weren't playing it. It had two strikes again. Mm-hmm. One strike and being a ballad, I think it would have made it. The feedback that I had heard kind of through label people and was interesting was like certain markets, it was like one of the highest researching oh, in songs. In Nashville, it was testing like great. Like and I can tell you here because I see, I, mean, I see all the research, right? I'm mm-hmm. lucky enough to see national research. In Nashville, it was one of the best songs that we had like to play. Yeah, and then in other markets, it was like the worst one of the at the bottom of in the research and I just I, that's always so like it makes my brain turn of like what culturally is different between Nashville and San Diego you know what I mean is it the real answer at least my we all have different perspectives and again I have a radio show I'm not in the programming of picking songs but mm-hmm. I am I am involved and I get to see a lot of the stuff and I get to champion artists which is a fun thing for me but a lot of it is just the timing and what lucky group you get to do the research. Like, mm-hmm. really, that's it. There are songs. I'll give you an example. Ah, they'll probably kill me for talking about this. Uh, my church tested terribly forever for Mary Morris. Terribly. We had to sit on it and continue to play, 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 play as it tested horribly just because we knew that. You couldn't listen to that song and go, yeah. this is an amazing song. I remember sitting in a meeting because – I have a wall here, and, and this is just a wall of people that I've been really close to. Everybody from Eric, who's one of my closest friends, to Keith, to Mary. It's the people that I would bring in before they even record deals. Mm-hmm. And I was – so I say this with full, like, the truth. that Like, I was a huge Marin fan. Mm-hmm. So I wanted it to succeed as well just personally and selfishly sure. because I thought – and I think Marin's awesome. But I would – this song was selling like crazy, one – and two, it was just an awesome song. And so mm-hmm. sometimes ears 
our overbrain whenever you're just seeing data. And we just hung. I wish people would have just hung with this song. Well, we just couldn't you. get enough people to hang. Because there was a fight. There really was a fight. Like, this is a song. We just couldn't get enough old, middle-aged white men <laughs> to go, let's keep playing it. So, A.K.A. all the musicals? Yeah. <laughs> a- A.K.A. every program director. Some of them were. Some of them were fighting. But yeah. I just wanted you to know that because I'm uh, on the inside and I, I see that. It's I appreciate a fantastic that song. Thank you. I appreciate that information because... I, you know, I think that song like really helped, um, show the evolution, you know, like, as I said earlier, like the purposes of songs that helped rebrand her, you know, and show her at, evolve into something new. And hopefully that will just be, if nothing else, a gateway into who she is now, you know, you wrote a lot with her on her uh, last record, which is uh wild horse, mm-hmm. name? wild horse, yeah. go from memory. Um, how many songs did you, did you, I had eight songs on there. So you guys just sat and wrote. Did you write purposely to write a record with her? No, it just happened. But it happened like three or four years ago. It happened around the time that I told you like Miranda started hearing songs I was writing. We wrote all those songs. Love Triangle, those songs are four years old. We wrote like probably 80% of her record, me and Jimmy Robbins and and Ray, like in probably a nine-month period. We just kind of had that there was like a season where we all just kind of clicked and, and, and I think it started to feel like an album to us then, but we didn't know that it would be three or four years before she would get a real shot and, and really get to put it out as is. And then we ended up co-producing it. I don't know if you know that, but I actually got to co-produce the record, which when was the last time a female ever got to co-produce anything? So I'm super proud of a lot of things beyond radio success with that with that project for me from my standpoint how did you guys become friends because i was on the voice with her the same year uh-huh really yeah I for just what, I, what season was that season two okay so that was early wow yeah, yeah. and it's but a, you're not a singer remember you just said a minute ago you i know well, a i left out a, there's a there are a lot of gaps in the story <laughs> which you know which we've jumped around but like if you heard it all chronologically it would make sense but you know i had had a publishing deal for a probably three, four, five years at that point and wasn't having any success. And I kept getting feedback from like A&R at labels when they'd pitch my songs. They'd be like, oh, that's a Nicole song. That's a Nicole song. And I was getting to be a better singer because I was singing every day and I had gotten the bravery to do it, you know? And and I was recording in the studio. Like, I got, I was so late to the game. All these girls grow up making demos in the studio when they're 12 and I was like learning at like 23 how to do this. And um, so I was kind of like, well, screw it. I'm not getting, nobody's cutting my songs. Maybe I'm supposed to make a record. And because in it, but it was never like, I want to perform. I want to sing. I just, I just want my songs out there. So I kind of was working with a manager for a minute, trying to get my house in order to approach labels. And then this manager sits me down and is like, you're not an artist. You're never going to be an artist. You're going to be a successful songwriter but you're not an artist. But through that process, people had started to brand me more as like a girl that wanted a record deal. And so I got referred to try out for the voice and as the ringer kind of, Cause I have friends that, are, that have been ringers on the show. I have a bunch of friends that have been like, they recruit. I said mm-hmm. ringer. Yeah. Well, it was so early on. It wasn't quite as strategic as it probably is now because it was so fresh. The show that season was kind of just ending and they were like, well, the show's blowing up. Like, would you want to do this? And it was the, per- it was like the perfect time to get to do it. You know, but I didn't make it very far. I didn't. I was only on a couple episodes. But I had actually written with Ray, this girl Rachel Woodward at the time, two days before that audition. Not the one that you see on TV, but like the audition to like to sing here in Nashville, like the preferred kind of thing. And and I met her and I was like, "Are you in town this week?" Because at the time she's like 16, and I was like, "Are you in town by chance because you're trying out for The Voice?" And she's like, "No." And I was like, "You have to do it." You are made for TV. Wait, so you convinced Ray Lynn to, to try, try out for, for the, the voice. voice? And I met her before she was Ray Lynn and told her to try out for the voice. We both ended up trying out and made it. And then I was kind of like, like while we were on the show, um, she was a minor. And so like during production, like she always had to have a parent with her. And so like there would be days that like her mom flew out in the morning and then her dad didn't get there till the night. So production would call and say, Hey, Ray wants to go to the mall. We can't leave. Would could she hang with you today? I was like her big sister slash mom. And so, you know, and we just, I don't know. I just, um, to be honest, I think I was becoming like a mother. I think I was kind of getting the bug to be a mom myself. And she was like a little kid and so cuddly and just, she just has this childlike thing about her. And I was like, 
took her under my wing and we just had this bond so when we came back from filming the show before it had sh- before it started airing on TV I knew that she was like a front runner and I knew that Blake and Miranda had basically adopted her and I was like we need to write like you need to be writing right now because you need to have songs before you get a record deal and bef- like when you walk in you need to have as much to say before they tell you what to say so I was just writing with her and that's where I was like hey Natalie I got this girl so if you go back into my story you take out the voice everything's different for me I'm not saying I wouldn't have found some success eventually but the voice has nothing to do with songwriting and it literally is one of the most crucial parts of my story it's still insane to me because of Ray because of Natalie because of Miranda, Miranda. And that domino all the way through yeah I mean, it's very odd it was the, the voice was the butterfly and your butterfly effect it was when I came back from that show everything started clicking even outside of the stuff that we've talked about like I was like a different writer it was so weird. How far did you get? I had lost in the battle rounds. Do you have to get in the boxing ring and sing against somebody? Yeah, that's the battle round thing. I don't... I, I haven't seen a bunch of The Voice. But I have friends that... This is a funny side voice, that, a side, side thing on The Voice, that had that own part of the show, right? Mm-hmm. And they were, they were like, hey... And I won't say who it is, but um, they said... Uh, they were given the option of, do you want to own part of the TV show or do you want to own the contracts of the artists that come after the show as they go and uh, you know pursue mm-hmm. music careers and they chose the artists oh man I know that's oh, the same thing they did they were what like what a terrible decision they were like we made the, the worst decision ever they said we could have t- t- taken the chairs and this is no slight to Cassidy or, or Ray or any of these girls who later it, it took a minute yeah. but they were like we could have toured the chairs and they would have toured better because even Idol, because even Idol was losing their star power. It was becoming more of a TV show than it was. Mm-hmm. Let's produce somebody that America is going to consume. Yeah, it's more of a TV show. Yeah. So, um, they don't have the infrastructure, and they never have on that show to do to work with artists. They've never had a label involved. Like you know, like they have had labels involved, right. but it hasn't been in house. Like the infrastructure on Idol is there. They, it's like assembly line. They know what to do. You know, they're. The voice feels so much more TV, but yet it also feels a lot more, from my taste, a lot more authentic to an artist than maybe being on an idol. Maybe I'm going to hate myself for saying that tomorrow. but I, I have friends that have been on both, and I think they uh, – two of them, and they, I think they both say the same thing. I can only say that from experience the short time that I was there where I felt like I was treated like an artist, not a contestant on a game show. Whereas I think a lot of people that are on reality TV shows sometimes come away feeling like I'm not even a person. I'm just like a casting here. They lock you away for a long time? No. I No. Oh, they do now. They lock you away for a long time. Well, maybe they do if you win, but I was like free and clear. Oh, they lock you away now? Like I have a buddy. Even if you don't do well on yeah, the show? Yeah, they lock you away before the show even starts if you're one of the select. Because I have a friend, a guy wow. friend, who ended up being in the top five, like being – and even before he went on the show, they put him in a hotel for months before the show even started. Wow. And so, but again, it's become bigger. It's become more of a thing. Who knows season one, season two, season three, if it's really be- going to become a thing. No. Who did you lose to in the battle round? Do you remember? This girl named, this uh, really sweet girl who was in, she was the nursing student from such and such, Matai. Her name was Matai and she was precious. And What'd you sing? We sang um, Sarah Bareilles' love song. Which, when I was given that song, because I was on Team Adam. Um, Why did you choose? Okay. I didn't choose. He chose me, and he was the only person that hit his button. Oh, his chair is the only one that turned for you, Adam was. Yeah. Were you disappointed that Blake's chair didn't turn? Or were you just looking for any chair to turn? Oh, I... Can you cuss on this show? Yeah, I was so scared shitless to do it that I was like... I was doing that just... I said yes, I would go to this first tryout... So that I could have peace that I wasn't supposed to do it. Because that's how I am. I'm like, a just just say yes. And and it's worked for me long term when I really look back. I'm willing to go fail at a bunch of things. It's okay. That doesn't affect me. So I was willing to go try this thing that scared me so much. But I kept making it. And they made me like... <laughs> so I was like, oh God, now I'm singing for... Oh God, now I'm singing for Carson. Oh, I'm getting really close. Now i got to really do this. Now I've like signed paperwork. So when I went out, I was like... I just have to get through it. That was my thing. I can't cry. If Like, like honestly, I was so scared. I hate performing. That's another reason I'm never going to be an artist. 
or was never going to be. I That's have, a thing. I don't if you hate performing. And <laughs> I don't think that I'm a great live singer. I really? think that, yeah. And I, I had just come off that manager telling me I wasn't going to be an artist. And probably for that reason, because I'm not good at performing live with a band and stuff. So having to go out on live TV, in my mind, in my weird, sick mind, I was like, well, that's no better way to figure out if you got what it takes and to go do it on national television. But I never thought I would make it. I still never thought I'd do it. I mean, so when he hit the button, I think I came back from that whole experience because he hit the button as like, oh, my God, if that can happen, anything can happen. That goes to show how little faith I had that I would actually make the show. So when I made the show, I was like, I I can totally write songs. It's wild that that turned into writing automatic. Because when we look back at a lot of things in our life and how we got here, like you going, okay, and then telling her she should go on the show, and then you two writing together, and then the next thing you know, this. That's crazy. I know. No, such a magical, such a magical chapter in my life when I look back on it. I mean, it's really humbling because... Do you think that any anybody's smart enough to try to write their own story like that? I think it's kind of impossible to do. Yeah. To write your own story. Yeah. Okay, okay, let me talk about this. Because I think you're on the verge of another one here. This song that you wrote for Lee Bryce, Boy. Oh. So tell me about... So who'd you write this with? I wrote this with John Knight, who I also wrote We Were Us with. Okay, you too. Just... You gonna drive the kids and throw a punch and grow too fast you're gonna drop the ball hit the wall and break some hearts like glass i know you will cause you're a part of me and a part of you who will always be a boy so tell me about this one here because this, this right now this is the big buzz song it's like really? this, yeah it is <sighs> well it is in my world but that's just because all my cousins are calling me about it <laughs> I mean I don't know um, uh, last song I wrote before I had my son well, and did you know it was going to be a son I knew it was so a boy. I knew I was having a boy um, and I was writing with John Knight that day is my last day on the books I was not 39 weeks pregnant I was huge and I had like I kept throwing out ideas and John was like no that's not it I don't like that no 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 and he was like you know what I think he was kind of like "Ah, Nicole doesn't really have any good ideas today you know what we should just do no pressure we should just write a song for your son like because John has a son at the time he had a two year old son and um and so we just wrote that I mean we both were bawling and then the craziest part of the whole thing to me of that song is two weeks later the ACMs were on I, I had my son like a week later, 10 days later. Four days after I had my son, we win Song of the Year at the ACMs for Automatic. And I can't be there to win Song of the Year because I had just had this boy. And so now it's like, I hate to even say it out loud, but everyone's like texting me going like, Song of the Year, Song of the Year material. And I'm like, how? I'm only going to say it because I want to put it out in the universe, but like how amazing would it be to be nominated for Song of the Year and like get to take my son? Oh, as yeah. my date the guy cool. that kept me from you know because that that year at the ACMs was like at Texas when it was like the Guinness it, it was, was a, a gazillion million people there yeah, the 50th anniversary it doesn't get it you can't think you can't dream of a bigger moment for a songwriter and I wasn't there you know because of my son so this is like my this is my like comeback well congratulations on that song because right now it's the song that everybody's tweeting and talking about and texting mm-hmm. about and you know how it is who knows yeah, yeah there's no yeah, it could do a love triangle you know who knows? If Lee Bryce sang Love Triangle, that's a hit. Man. I know. And again, not a slight toward Raylan at all. It's just tough to be a female and have a ballad. No. It's it won't be as it's better than it was a year ago, and in a year it's gonna be even better than it is now. I agree. But there just is no farm system. There is now starting to come back with female talent because mm-hmm. they just abandoned it. They were just like, you know what? This is what's paying the bills right now. Let's just have more sounds like this. Yes. And it's nobody's fault. When mm-hmm. somebody does something successful, everybody wants to replicate it. And they also want to have success and make money, bottom line, quarter, quarter, quarter. Um, so, but yes, I think it's just, man, such a love triangle, such a good song. I hated seeing that one go. Thank you. Uh, let me see. What other do I like? What, what other songs do I like here that have a, first of all, Halloween from Walk Craze, which we talked about earlier. Like, we should just brag on him as much as we can because I can't brag it. on him anymore. I like what a badass. We've been on the road together for five months. After I just I listened to that his record more than any other record last year. Period. But I, I can't. 
when everyone was like, hey, you should have you on. I was like, I know her from something other than, I couldn't remember what it was. But it was having the song and seeing your name scroll across the screen so many times and I'm listening to Halloween. Hey, they're just dressed up. I was so flattered when he kept me on it and he said he was going to put it out because I I mean, and I know he hasn't like put out his record record yet, and I'm sure they're gonna find somebody huge and amazing. But it, um, yeah, and I'm excited about that. But like, there's just something magical about that little demo to me. That's a demo. I mean, yeah, I mean it's a it's a shack shack song. Yeah. It's such a like. There's a an Australian girl that that I know well, and she. Opens and then Walker's the featured music performer. And then I do stand up for an hour. Uh, we just finished. Walker did. We're moving. Carly Pierce is going to do it for now for the next oh, cool. four months. But Walker's been the guy. And so I remember the first day of the tour, Walker asks Nikita Carmen, who's an Australian singer songwriter. He goes, "Hey, do, um, I do a song called Halloween. Do you? She goes, "I know every word of it." Like, oh, that's so cool. And I was like, "Wow, you know it too." Like, there. Walker's awesome. This song is awesome. So it's not uh, just about Walker. He had that idea, that concept sussed out way, like a lot of it sussed out when I walked in that day. I mean, he's just, I would love to see what his brain looks like on the inside out. Yeah, it's crazy how he works. Here's a funny, embarrassing story and a humble brag at the same time. Walker and I were in Wichita. We did two shows at the Orpheum in Wichita. So we did two nights. And so I texted him because we were going to write on that Saturday, we got in with the show Friday night. And so we had all day Saturday in the same town. And rarely do we do two shows in the same place, but it's, we'd sold out the theater both nights. So we were like, we just stayed. So I sent him a text. and said, hey, do you still want to write? I get a message back. And then finally I got a message back. It's like, yeah, when? I was like, this is, why would Walker say when? We're like four hotel rooms down from each other. And so I look and I accidentally texted Clay Walker. <laughs> Not Walker Hayes. And then that's I, amazing. And, then I, and to me, I kind of nerd out at Clay Walker because when I was a kid, that's what I listened to on the radio. No, 90s country is life. Yes. And so I was like, Clay, sorry, dude. I'm in Kansas with Walker. We were going to write today. And so I text Walker. And I was like, if you, that was kind of embarrassing, but still, who get, who has awesome. Walker Hayes and Clay Walker on their phone? Like, I, that's a pretty cool life. No, I was going to say, that's an awesome story that you should never forget. It's a, it's a pretty cool life. And Good so problem. Now... Yeah, it's it's cool. And Walker's yeah, whatever. We can talk about Walker forever. I want to play some more stuff here. Okay. Um, how about because I'm just big fans of some of these people. For example, one of the first ever one of these that I did when I started talking about songwriters, even before Ryan Hurd had any of his project out, I was like, uh-huh. Ryan, you have to come up because I'm I'm just a fan of Ryan as a person, and I love his songwriting, and now I love his music that he's put out. But you guys will hold you back, mm-hmm. yeah. him that well um, we've only ri- we actually just wrote the other day um, it's like probably the first time we had written since we wrote that song um he is so talented he's one with the universe too. he is he is it's such a it's always whiplash for me because i go from like my domestic mom world and then i walk in and i'm like here's a rock star you know he just has that presence about him it's like hey so cool you know hey, <laughs> hey what's up so talented it's a good one Someone, a band that I've been friends with for a long time, back when I lived in Texas, and before they kind of did the Nashville thing, was uh, Mike Eli, Eli Young Band. You guys wrote this one, Saltwater Gospel? I thought that song would do better. You know, those guys have a... It's a weird thing for Texas artists, and, and I can tell you firsthand because... I still live in Texas part time. Like I live in Austin. It's my. Mm-hmm. F- I love Austin. Like yeah. God, no better place. I got lucky that Austin and Nashville are two cities that I get to live and work in. Yeah, like they're the best. Mm-hmm. And so, with the Texas artists, here's the weird thing: like any Texas artist that tries for mainstream success gets screamed at, sell out, sell out. So mm-hmm. there's like this weird thing where they, and I'm not even talking about Eli Young Band specifically, but where they have to like cater back to the Texas country oh, yeah. while going, I'm not a sellout, I'm still doing all the same red dirt stuff, mm-hmm. and it does impair them a bit. Oh, yeah. It's, um, I mean, I'm not from Texas, but growing up in Kansas, the, all those Texas bands when I was in high school, that's what all my, that's what all my friends listen to, the Pat Green, the Jason Bullen, Cross Canadian, like CCR, all, uh, I mean, there's so many of them, and I, uh, 
I kind of got to know Pat a little bit after I moved here. Like, and then I was like, I was totally, you know, 17 again, like fan, fangirling out and just watching that happen with wave on wave and like right. what and that did for him and didn't do for him. You know, it just, it helped him and hurt him at the same time. Yeah. Cause I remember it happening. Cause Pat green was Texas still. And he is, yeah. and he still is. And we used to have Pat on the radio show in Texas all the time. And I was doing top 40 at the time, but I would have Pat on and, you know, Eli Young and Dirks. I was a country fan, and I would put these country artists on a nationally syndicated pop show. That's why I ended up doing country, because it was just better for me. Yeah. But when Wave on Wave hit, everyone was like, oh, what a sellout. And it's like, no. What does sellout mean? You get to put more music out for more people? Yeah. I feel bad for guys like Granger. Mm-hmm. Because here's Granger, the best guy. Just a, just a phenomenal guy. Still lives in Texas, and people are like, oh, he's sellout. He's got a record deal. He's got a record deal. It's not selling out if you want to have a nicer life. Yeah. You can still remain true. Like, I will always be an Arkansas Razorback, like in my blood. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I live in Nashville right now. That doesn't mean I'm not an Arkansas Razorback. Same here. Same here. Like it bother- that part really bothers me because I love Texas, and I love the people, and mm-hmm. I have so many friends that do Texas country. But they, there's an alienation where, at times where it's like some, some of the artists are like, well, if you like the Nashville artists, then you're not one of us. Mm-hmm. And it's why some of the artists don't even want to tour in Texas. Yeah. Because they feel like everybody hates them. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's like two steps forward one step back or even one step forward two steps back on that stuff so when guys like eli young band make it you're like man that's awesome yeah. because then they got their they kept went back kept their texas mm-hmm. and got their nashville and i thought it would do it too but they just have this two sides that are just pulling from both directions where i kind of felt bad for them yeah so yeah. i agree with you i thought the song would do better too yeah but again can't predict it let's see uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Let me do one more. How about... I think it's time to take a heartbreak. Heartbreak from Lady A. How'd you get in the Lady A camp? Because of It Ain't Pretty. Um, probably. I don't actually remember. I actually, oh. So my publisher, they were published by the same publisher that I was, um, years ago. I've been at Warner Chapel the whole time. But they, um... They were there, and then they left. Now they're back. Um, but they kind of pitched a lot of my songs because we were all in the family together, and that's how It Ain't Pretty happened. But now I'm, like, super good friends with all of them, like family friends. Like, they come over to our house for Halloween, and our kids play, that kind of thing. Um, in fact, when I play Heartbreak in my car, like, my daughter's like, oh, you wrote that with Isley's mommy. You know, it's that's my dynamic with them now. Um, and what's interesting is I thought It Ain't Pretty was going to be my first big hit. And it wasn't. And then right after that, you asked about, like, the dynamic between Rodney and I. Rodney went out and wrote with him for the first time and wrote Bartender. And he got the big Lady A single. And um, I remember thinking, oh, damn, if I'm not going to get it, then I guess, I guess I want you to get it, you know? Like, that's my consolation prize is... Again, as all the dots are connecting, you and Eric wrote It Ain't Pretty. Uh-huh. Eric wrote Friday Night, which was on their record, mm-hmm. which they did not cut as a single. Yep. And Eric said, hey, you mind if I have it back? Yeah. Got it back, cut it, went number one. Yeah. I mean, it, the whole world is just weird and crazy it and is. awesome and awful and amazing and terrible. And it's, you just never know. So funny. No, but, it's all the long game. You know, you can't, like I said, you can't get that one little disappointment dictate anything about your future you just have to keep moving and keep writing more who uh who'd you write with today did you write today today i wrote with um josh kerr and cassie ashton cassie's this girl that's on um signed to beth and luke laird's company creative nation we wrote a song called wedding cake yeah and that girl is so much fun really i know josh kerr really well yeah well he played guitar on the road with us for a long time oh yeah and i'm on black river Oh yeah, that's right. So, yeah, yeah. So we wrote, we wrote, and then Cassie left, and then this other amazing artist named Emily Wiseband came in, and we had to tweak another song um, that we had written with. So Emily's his girlfriend right now. Yeah. 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 I was like another amazing artist, like Emily's girlfriend. Yeah. Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Right. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, their Instagram shows it. If it's not, by the way, you don't have Twitter, which is weird. Uh huh. Why? How can you? Li- I don't. I would get news no other way. I don't know. I think I just. Um, I think there was a minute when I had a, um, like had a login issue for some reason. And you just like, quit. And I was just like, 
You know what? I love Instagram so much, and I love taking pictures. Like, like I was the yearbook editor. I love taking pictures. Like, I could carry. I carry a camera all the time. You know, um, so that was just a good cleaning of the closet on that one. I was just like, eh, go away. I just didn't have enough time for it. Well, I appreciate you coming by. Thanks for having me. My mom's gonna think that I'm. I've so made it now. Does your mom get to hear the show where she lives, my radio show? Yes. Because one of my favorite places to go in the whole world is Wichita. That's where we just spent two – I mean, I'm telling you, it is For the – For real? Oh, my show would not be nationally syndicated without Wichita, Kansas. You're kidding. Well, probably my mom. My mom's probably just – she probably has going on 27 radio st- uh, you know, devices in the house at the same time. And when you say Hutchinson, like I know the area because I guess 12 years or so ago I went and – not that you even care, but since this no, is your hometown, is I'll tell you. I went and begged a station in Wichita to put my show on, and I paid for everything. Like I was like, I have this new technology I just bought. I'm trying to figure it out. I'll pay for everything. All the phone lines, all don't pay me anything. And the very first station to ever pick up my show on syndication was Wichita, Kansas. And every year I go back two, three, sometimes four times. We, I just did two nights at the Orpheum there, and then I'm, I'm going back to play my band. The Raging Idiots are playing a festival with Granger in like three weeks. Like I can't get enough of that place. And for some reason, they keep having me back. I love it there. Well, I love you for loving it. We're actually building a house there. Really? So, yeah, I if you're love back, it. you can come and... I'll come and eat dinner. Do you, you cook? Can come to, I do cook. Yeah? Yeah, I cook like a Midwestern, though. So you cook chicken fried? Well, not fried. That feels more Southern, but just like steak and potatoes, like meat and potatoes all day long. Well, I appreciate you coming by. Everybody was like, you have to have her. She's amazing. You got no bad reviews. And everybody gets at least one bad review, right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, everybody gets at least one bad review. Well, um, your Yelp was amazing. It was spotless. <laughs> yeah. It was perfect Yelp. Yeah, it was, well, it was basically the Chipotle of songwriters. Yeah, like, but Chipotle had, like, food poisoning Didn't matter. Still wanted it. I'd see it on the news. I'd be like, oh, there's food poisoning at Chipotle? Chipotle. Chipotle. I need Chipotle. Like, it worked like that. Man, well... Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations you, uh, on just, man, you got some big songs. And I think you got some, uh, you got some comments. This boy from Lee Bryce, like I think in a year we look back at this, we're going to go, remember we are talking about when Boy just was released? So, no, uh, listen, and I'm not the jinx. I've said too many things that I went right. I'm not the jinx, right, Mike? No. I, I, I've actually never oh, been wrong. Oh, I'm not worried about yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you for coming by. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, and that's a wrap. What episode was Mike? 61 and thanks to our sponsor oh wow that i'm telling you that you have a dog you have kids i have kids do so you have a dog no this wag walker is the greatest app it's not they're not even paying me right now is it? okay like i'll do a free commercial because it's so good it's a dog walking service it's an app and you just get on your app and you go maybe they can walk your kids i don't know so you hit it and you go when you need a dog walker and they're like 30 minutes hour they come and i have a lock and they push a little code in. They get the lock, open door, take my dog out. They take pictures of the dog. They text you while it's going. When it poops, they go like, dog poop. They send you a text. It's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Anyway. That's amazing. They didn't pay me for that. Can I insta story that I'm here? You can do whatever you want. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll insta story you insta storying me. We're still on, by the way. Oh. Huh. Well, good. That fits my brand. Right. I'm, like to- <laughs> I'm like a total insta for. All right. We're going to go. Uh, thank you, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, bye.